this week, I am going to take all of my jumbled thoughts around using the tiers of play and tell you how you could start implementing them into your campaigns. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to the D&D podcast for everyone because here we speak common. This is the show brought to you in partnership with The Dice Dungeon and Describe, two wonderful partners who have been with us for a while now. Um, I believe, well it's June now this episode, and I believe The Dice Dungeon and I have been working together for a year at this point which is wonderful um great guys if you want you to uh, get if you want to get yourself so i just had a mini stroke in that sentence if you want to get yourself some premium dnd dice and other uh, D paraphernalia there's lots on offer at the dice dungeon the stock is constantly growing then head over to their website there's a link in the description below and have a look through uh, their goods and wares at time of recording they have a sale on uh, i don't know if that sale will still be going on when this episode releases but hey it's worth a look it's worth checking it out because the discount code works in the sale as well if you use the code we speak common and check out you get 10 percent off your entire order and uh, i will tell you about some things that i recently got from the dice dungeon a little bit later on during the episode we're, of course, also brought to you by uh, Describe, who are your one-stop shop for creative writing needs. If you're great at coming up with ideas for D&D games and for creating fun adventures, uh, but you're not so good at the, the pros of D&D, the, the explanation, the scene setting, then Describe has you sorted. It's spelled D-S-C-R-Y-B. Dot com. You can go and have a look at over 1,500 scenes growing every single day. Uh, and of course, if you want access to all of them, spells, locations, monsters, and more, then there is a subscription service. You can get 10% off that with the code COMMON at checkout. And it gives you money off every single month, not just your initial uh, purchase. The show's also brought to you in partnership, uh, not in partnership, uh, well, I guess so, a little bit, but thanks to the patrons who support the show directly on Patreon. If you want to do that, uh, there is a link in the description below. It gets you access to a private We Speak Common Discord server where we are chatting and talking about D&D news, about each other's games, encounters, about the episodes. We get a lot of topic suggestions on there too. If you want to get involved, you're more than welcome to join us. It's a great place to hang out. Um, and we often, uh, we have a little voice chat room where we can sit and chat and listen to music too. So it's a nice little chill zone, a little safe space to enjoy D&D related things. Uh, it is thanks to the patrons that, you know, I can keep doing this when things go a little bit awry as they have in the last few weeks. Um, although touch wood and whistle all fixed now. Um, but uh, the other bonus you get as a patron and as my thanks for the support is extra goods to use in your D and D game. So currently, uh, there are things like, uh, the sorcerer class, spell point variant that i made on there uh, toa guide which anyone can get that's free uh, the dm gill uh, dm oh my god words this morning uh, the dragon heist dm dm document uh, the notes very similar to that for running stradmus dice tonight loads of stuff basically and um, my two favorites are araman's tome of artifacts which is a book full of items that you can use in your dnd games and uh, soon to be released actually probably going to come out today so go and check it out is the extended poisoned condition which is a short document a short proper book that i've put together and by short i mean like 
a page and a half, maybe max, for a new condition that has been inspired by a topic that I talked about a couple of weeks back. Uh, I've taken my my ramblings and made it into a proper condition that you can put into your D&D game tonight. If you're supporting the Patreon, you get all of that stuff. Um, and of course, I keep adding stuff and updating it. I'm working on, uh, I say working on, very, very early stages of creating a setting guide that I'd love to put out on there for people. Um, I want to create a spell book because I've got loads of homebrew spells. To be honest, I want to make a, a little homebrew rule book of all the extra little rules and things that I've used and come up with over the years of playing. So stuff like that to to come to Patreon too for you to nab whenever you feel like it. Uh, with all that out of the way, the only other way to support is to just share the podcast and it's very helpful. So if you do enjoy the show, please give us a tweet, uh, push us out on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you chill out with your, your D&D friends. Um, with that said, it is just myself today. Hello, I'm Ben Norris, if you didn't know. Uh, I have a nice warm cup of coffee and a copy of what has recently been my favourite D&D book, The Dungeon Master's Guide, on my lap. Because, hang on, let's do a coffee sip. Oh, if you haven't got uh, a hot beverage right now, go get yourself one um, and and join in with me. Uh, because my good friend, who you will know if you've listened to past episodes, Sam, uh, got thinking about the tiers of play in D and D and started talking to me uh, about them. And I said to him uh, yesterday, I think it was, I said, "Oh, what, what should I?" What should I talk about, Sam? What should I um? What should I get into on this week's episode? I should go grab my phone so I can get his message up. Uh, and he suggested this, and actually, I think it's a really good, really good thing to talk about. Um, it's a really good topic. So thanks, Sam, for doing my job for me. Uh, he said something I've been really thinking about after you talked to me about Druid Groves is Tears of Play. Uh, it's a really great part of the story where characters start becoming icons and gaining followers. Can we talk about the presence of characters in towns and cities, how the region as a whole reacts to them, the followers that some of them might gain, like a squire for a paladin, an apprentice for a wizard, how to allow the players to form their own guild, start their own fortresses, etc. So it's kind of something I've talked about before briefly, uh, most specifically when Joe and I dived into Matt Koval's Strongholds and Followers, which is a very clunky chunky meaty mechanical way of doing fortresses and strongholds and people who populate them and follow your party uh, i think it's a good book i think there's stuff in there that i will use and stuff in there i won't use as with any book um you know each dm takes bits that they want and bits that they don't want uh that you could definitely go and read and have a look through i do think though it is not for everyone i think it's for people who are very mechanically minded uh, and it definitely feels like it only really fits in homebrew worlds. But I will say that that's out there and you should go check it out. That is the only book I've read that really delves into this kind of, that kind of side of the topic. And we will talk about that part of Tears of Play at some point because it is important. But first things first, I guess, let's break down what they are and how and why you should be using them. I want to say that I don't think these come into play much in published adventures. So I have found that when you're running, you know, Dragon Heist or Tomb of Annihilation or Curse of Strahd, this stuff really doesn't appear um, because you're so focused on 
the storyline and the adventure and by the like let's say for example okay tomb of annihilation runs from 1 to 13 right and by the end of 13 you're you're masters of the realm as the tears call you but all that equates to is saving the world which is that's a big thing but when we look at the tiers, we can use them in a much more robust way, especially in our homebrew games. Whether that's in a, an established setting like Ravnica or Faerun or Greyhawk or your own homebrew one like Estoroth or the World of Car. So I don't think these come up much or I don't see them in the way that I'm going to talk about them in pre-written adventures. But in your homebrew campaigns, in your... Uh, own written stories i think these are a fantastic tool to really start thinking about and start utilizing um a bit more i'm just going to flick to their page on the dmg and as with any dnd book they're hard to find there they are uh, so we're looking at pages 36 and 37 of the dungeon master's guide and i promise eventually i will stop talking about this book eventually I mean, it's unlikely but Hmm. it will have to happen eventually the book will be fully read by me at some point <laughs> so tears of play as characters grow in power their ability to change the world around them grows with them it helps to think uh, ahead when creating your campaign to account for this change as the characters make a greater impact on the world they face greater danger whether they want to or not powerful factions see them as a threat and plot against them while friendly ones court their favor in hopes of striking a useful alliance the tiers of play represent the ideal milestones for introducing new world-shaking events to the campaign. As the characters resolve one event, a new danger arrives, or the prior trouble transforms into a new threat in response to the character's actions. Events need to grow in magnitude and scope, blah, 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 blah. So, the first tier is levels 1 to 4, local heroes. Uh, this is uh, the characters learning the range of their features in their classes, uh, defining themselves, you know, learning how to deal with problems and, and learning who they are as people uh, and things like that uh, this is pretty simple this is your town level problem that the characters have to solve even first level characters are heroes they're they're more than just common people we know that but this is them you know arriving to a town or a, a city for the first time not really knowing who any important people are important people not knowing who they are starting to make waves in the pond and people beginning to notice their who they are and what they're doing and things like that it's it's the time where they can get away with some things um for example they have no they have no renown anywhere whether you're using mechanic or not and it's about it's bad to use a word that means something within the game but no one knows who they are so if they break a rule they might be able to just slyly pay off a judge and be okay when they're famous if they break a rule that's going to change the way people see and view them so this is their learning ground this is where they can make mistakes um and i don't think we need to talk about this much because everyone knows how to run levels one to four slash one to five it's pretty simple you might do something notable by level five uh, and that's when you start to to you know get sent requests to help and that's when you might have you know stopped a um chimera worshipping cult of gnolls from ransacking and destroying the town of nestlenook you know and so that town regards you as heroes and your folk heroes your local heroes 
It's that kind of stuff. Nothing out of the ordinary from low-level D&D. When you get to 5 to 10, they call this Heroes of the Realm. Now, uh, this is I'll, I'll read you a small section of the, um, the opening paragraph. By the time they reach this tier, adventurers have mastered the basics of their class features. Though they continue to improve throughout those, these levels, they have found their place in the world and begun to involve themselves in the dangers that surround them. So for me, this is, uh, I mean, this is where I set Waterdeep when I did Dragon Heist. It was 5 to 8 so within the heroes of the realm and this is when they started to get involved with groups this is when they began to really be noticed where um you know the black staff was looking at the wizard in the party and thinking they have potential they could be someone they could maybe join my school which the character took and ran with and became their apprentice by the end of it uh, this is when the Harpers, if you're running in Faerun, I mean the Black Stars, this is all about Waterdeep, but the Harpers and the Zentarum are starting to see these people and saying, these guys have done X, Y, Z. We know of what they've done because they've started to you know, make waves in the ocean. We are going to go and use them. So this is when the characters begin to make changes in the places around them in the sense that they start to have more, they're more than just adventurers now. And I think that this gets forgotten quite a bit. I think that um, when you get to five, you're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're actual adventurers. And that kind of stays around for six or seven. But once you get to eight, nine, ten, I feel like you can start utilizing their uh, their choices and their reactions to things and the way they're dealing with adventures to start to shape the story more. Um, you know, I always say we go into an adventure with a plot. We know that. You know, one bad guy's trying to do X, Y, Z and the characters will have to stop him and it will take them to a roughly X level. But stuff progresses as the players play. That's what makes D&D good. And so we adapt to it and we change things. And this is where you can start to bring in reactions to uh, to their actions. The consequences is another good word for it, but they're not necessarily negative. Um, you know, so if the bounty hunter in the party picks up this is actually something that happened in my Waterdeep campaign. The bounty hunter picks up a job to go and kill an orc chief who's taken over uh, the small town of Rasalanta. So they go and they take the bounty because they want the money, right? They don't want, they're not doing it because they want to be good people. They're doing it because they want the money uh, to fund their bar. True story. They do the job, they come back, and the people of Rasalanta now know who they are. And someone in Rasalanta works for both the Harpers and the Centaurum. So both the Harpers and the Centaurum now know of these these strong adventurers who came in and dealt with this problem and they see them as not, they might not necessarily see them as good people. It's all relative from point of view. They might not necessarily see them as bad people, but they see them as strong, powerful people who could be great uh, allies. So they start to then approach them and say, Hey, do you want to be in charge of this? Do you want to help with this? or whatever. Um, and so you can start really bringing in factions properly at 5 to 10 and start to utilize them in bigger ways. I know that Waterdeep Dragon Heist has them as uh, being, being brought in between levels 1 and 5, but I think they're brought in in very small ways. That's if you really want to start a campaign with characters involved in organizations and have them like at the bottom and build their way up. At this point, it's like, okay, we're going to bring you in on a big mission and we want your help. We want you to go and kill this guy. We want you to go and get this artifact. And doing that makes you, you know, gain renown and, and grow. Um, and doing those things, taking up those chances that the factions come in and offer them, is how they then 
get to the point where they start to have people idolizing them. It's also at the point where the villain starts to see the characters as a threat. Maybe not a complete one, but one where they're saying, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on this. And once they get to 10th level, they're like, okay, I'm going to start sending people at you rather than just reacting to you turning up in places. If you compare this to a written adventure, like Curse of Strahd, level 10 is where you're going to Castle Ravenloft and you're, you're killing Strahd. So consider that when you're planning your campaign. Consider, okay, I want to run a campaign that goes all the way up to level 18. I want the... I want 10 to be the point where the where the villain goes, okay, this isn't cute anymore. You're actually pissing me off. I'm going to deal with you. Um, It says in the book here, you know, the fate of the region might depend on the adventurers and characters of 5th to 10th level to undertake. These adventures venture into some fearsome wilds and ancient ruins where they confront uh, savage giants, ferocious hydras, fearless golems, evil yonti, scheming devils, bloodthirsty demons, crafty mind flayers, and drow assassins. So um, this is, okay, you helped the town, now you need to help the Sword Coast. And I think as well a big thing that always comes up is um, oh, but what, there's always someone stronger. Why aren't they dealing with it? And it's like, yes, the person who's stronger is dealing with bigger problems that the characters can't face yet. Think about Gandalf in Lord of the Rings when he takes on the Balrog um, or when he disappears for a bit and comes back. He's like, I'm in the Hobbit. He's like, I'm going to have to go and deal with something else while you deal with this thing that's too menial for me to deal with. Something bigger has come up that I need to go and do. So consider putting that across as well. The part that I really wanted to talk about, and this is the part that I think needs the most chatting because it doesn't come up so much in play, is the next two stages, next two tiers. So levels 11 to 16, Masters of the Realm. It says, By 11th level, characters are shining examples of courage and determination, true paragons in the world as well, uh, set well apart from the masses. At this tier, adventurers are far from versatile, uh, far more versatile, bloody hell, I can't read today, uh, than they were at lower levels, and they can usually find the right tool for a given challenge. Dedicated spellcasters gain access to sift level spells, blah, 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 it starts talking about abilities. The fate of a nation or even the world depends on uh, momentous quests that such characters undertake. Adventurers explore uncharted regions and delve into long-forgotten dungeons where they confront terrible masterminds of the lower plains, cunning raksashas and beholders and hungry purple worms. They might encounter uh, and even defeat a powerful adult dragon that has established a lair and a significant presence in the world. At this tier, adventurers make their mark on the world in a variety of ways, from consequences of their adventures to the manner in which they spend their hard-won treasure and exploit their well-deserved reputations. Now, we all know that high-level adventurers and high-level adventures are not always commonplace. I mean, not in published adventures. And homebrew, it takes a long time to get to this point unless you're playing like a sped-up milestone-style game. And this is why I want to talk about this part. And I think this is where things like followers and strongholds and things come into place. So, for um, example, let's look at Critical Role. It's about this level and into the next one when they start going into Aeor and dealing with that kind of stuff. If you're not following D&D, uh, you're not following crit Critical Role, um, 
I don't know where I am today. My brain cannot put sentences together. I apologize. <laughs> if you're not following Critical Role, it's at this point that they started delving into massive subterranean structures of, of fallen cities that um, you know, not many people have, have gone into. And like that's a whole region, a whole unexplored place with dangers that people don't know about. Uh, it's when in Faerun you begin to think about stopping the assault of the Red Wizards of Thay and ascending into the Doom Vault to destroy their phylacteries. It's when um, in... Okay, let me give you an example from a game I'm playing. I'm playing in Descendant to Avernus, right? That that campaign finishes at 13th level. And my character uh, from Baldur's Gate, from a noble family, did a lot of work to become a duke. So when he returns, he's going to start doing dukely businesses. He's not going to go on another adventure. He's going to sit down and run some of his business for a bit and run his group known as the Knights of the Shield. So he starts having responsibility. And I want to make it clear that that's not me retiring my character. That is the start of his next stage of adventuring. And I think that we can really use this in games. Now, this is one of the things that you have to talk to your table about, make sure that they're comfortable with this kind of play. But here is what I would do. And here is what I hope James will do for me. I uh, hope he's listening. If your characters have started to get to this level, they've done you know, massive things. They've killed a, an ancient or an adult dragon. They've they've slayed the mighty Beholder Crime Lord boss. They've, I don't know, come back from the lands of Cholt and put an end to the death curse. It's at this point that they gain the respect and the admiration, or at least the thanks, of big, powerful, political people. You can give the players the chance to rest and not to stop the campaign what i would do is say let's take Cholt as an example and if any of my players are listening this is not what i'm planning to do this is just me talking through something that could happen <laughs> gotta keep the spoilers away from this place you come back from the exotic land of Cholt. you've traveled across the world maybe you teleport home i don't know maybe you get a boat takes days to get back by boat you are exhausted you are worn down you have seen death and hideous monsters you've probably you know you've you've probably lost a few friends from that death that you've witnessed maybe you died and came back to life right at the last moment you've been through things that no one else has been through you need a vacation man you need a break you come back the people who asked you to go off them whether it's the lords of Waterdeep, the lords alliance i don't know the Dukes of Baldur's Gate, whoever it was, assuming this is set in Faerun, if it's in your homebrew world, it's whoever's in charge, of course, always adapt things, adapt what I'm saying too. Um, and they say, well done, thank you. Here is a manor with 15 acres of land on the uh, Shamalanti Hills. Go and just have that. That's yours. You can have that place. We're going to make you lords of the land. And that is your place now. You deserve somewhere to go and rest and have a comfortable life. Thank you for your service. Off you go. I would give, I would do a session of um, 
going to that place, exploring it, finding out what it's like, seeing what it's like, making it their own, talking about what they want to do. And not necessarily like, okay, you want to put in a pool? How are you going to do that? Literally, okay, you want to have a pool? Fine, you can have a pool. You can find someone to, yeah, absolutely, you can have that done. You want to have a studio where you can, like a dojo where you can fight and train? Absolutely, that can happen. Talk about and come up with this fantasy place that they own and they love. Make it a base. And then next session, when you come back, have an extended period of time passing. Say to them, okay, in the game, two months has gone by of you resting and relaxing. In those two months, people have come to deliver you things. People have come to um, hear your story. You know, uh, someone from the... XY paper of whereverville has come to do a expose on you um you know all that kind of stuff these are these are famous people maybe you can if they the characters players want something like fun to try and deal with they've got fan clubs who have come and they need to get restraining orders like just fun stuff like that like real life shit kind of stuff um and ask them you know what would you have done in those months you know you'll have one player who says my character just rests uh Mm. enjoys coffee which i need to drink is going cold hang on mm. if you can hear me swallowing i'm really sorry uh you know my character rests and recuperates from their wounds and starts researching into regeneration magic so they can grow back their hand that they lost in that trap in the tomb of annihilation uh, another character, the wizard might say, okay, I'm literally just going to start studying. If I've got downtime to actually sit and read all these, these spell books that we found, that's what I'm going to do. And over those two months, I've learned all of these spells. The paladin might say, I'm going to build a temple and ask for people to come and pray here and make this a, a place for my God. Things like that. Things that actually affect the world. Because now that place exists. That place has people who want to go there to pray or to to seek the wizard's advice on something. You know, maybe the druid says, I'm going to, um, I, you know, I love the house and that, but I'm also going to go off into the, the, the forests nearby and create a grove and start um, looking after the wild land. And it's at this point that books like strongholds and followers can come in handy and for me i use it as inspiration rather than take the rules directly because they don't fit my style of play very well but you can do things like say okay well if the druid's going to set up a grove you've got a, a series of land you make up a space that is considered your grove and their animals can talk to you or you okay the 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 paladin's got a temple that temple is considered holy ground and it's hallowed as if by the hallowed spell and there you can beseech your god for a spell any spell up to what you can cast um and depending on the level it's however many days that like maybe if you want to ask for the resurrection spell uh i don't know what level the resurrection spell is off the top of my head i'm going to imagine i'm going to i'm going to try and guess I'm going to guess that Resurrection is a 7th level spell. Resurrection 5e. Here it is. It is a 7th level necromancy spell. Get in. I'm a god. Um, okay. <laughs> so, you know, oh, you know, you, you beseech your god for a Resurrection spell because um, a local lady has brought her son in who's sick and has died of the flu or something. 
um, and the god gives you the diamond worth a thousand gold pieces and the knowledge to cast the spell once and then you can't ask for something like that again for a month start putting in these kind of loose rules that you can use to make their their home feel special to them and then start having people arrive they've got a mana let's say it's like a lord's mana what if someone starts putting up a town nearby a town starts growing near them because people want to be near the the famous adventurers like live in the in the manor on the hill oh they're they're mysterious and you can start using that use that extended time instead of focusing on the day-to-day life of the local and heroes of the realm the, the ones who are out doing the job start focusing on the extended stuff big stuff takes time right rome wasn't built in a day so start using that start every other session a month on you know the recap becomes a month has passed since that young woman uh, that young merchant came to sell you goods but his son had died and you resurrected him he since went back to the city of wherever and brought more people with him and decided to set up shop here and live near you and it's brought more trade and more people and over the month a small town has grown three sessions later they've got a town and you know someone saying people are coming to you saying we want you to govern the town and you need to decide whether you want to govern it players or whether you want to hire a mayor and what are you going to call the town start doing stuff that gives them uh that make that they start giving them stuff where they have affected the world and if you need adventure encounters in the middle of that then you do it in ways like the the druid starts opening a grove okay well um the druid has found weird stuff growing in the dirt worms and disgusting um parasitic like creatures turns out that years ago an asteroid landed nearby and there are stars born you've got to go deal with them that's a cool little one session adventure you can do around all of the uh what's the word admin type stuff um you know the paladin uh, he opens his temple but um someone comes by to pray and it turns out they're actually a cultist here to d- to to defile the temple and you've got a you get attacked by cultists one day one session like these fun things and you can use those sort of time recaps to build up to those so in the in the recap you can see you know people have come and they've started praying and people are here and and two weeks ago uh, you know three men in in dark red robes came in and prayed um you thought they were a bit weird and set up it what's going to happen in that session in those recaps in those what happened during the month while we were away which in real time was only a week or two weeks however long it takes between you playing and it's then that you can bring in people who seek the characters help so uh you know if the wizard has a tower in the manor an apprentice knocks on the door a wannabe apprentice and says i want to be i want to learn from you well it's going to come down to the player on how they you know if they decide whether they want an apprentice or not uh, but if they say yes great use the sidekick rules in tasha's you've got an apprentice and that stuff just adds to the the feeling of achievement from a player perspective if i'm playing a wizard and someone comes to me and says i want to be your apprentice and then i get to have a little sidekick i feel powerful i feel recognized and it's the same with a paladin um now you can have a you can use the cycle rules or you could use stat blocks there are different ways of doing this 
a paladin would have a squire so maybe it's like the the, the equivalent of the fighter sidekick um a druid would have another someone who wants to learn the ways of of nature whether it's like a little druid or a little ranger sidekick or you can look at some of the third party supplements like uh companions i think they're called i've seen them on reddit there's things all over the place there's different ways of doing it the easiest way if you want to keep it in 5e rule stats is sidekicks and having them level with the players and if you if you want to play more adventurey kind of um local heroes and heroes of the realm kind of adventures while those games are happening you can use those sidekicks because the heroes can send their sidekicks off on quests that's not important enough for them to go and do because they've got now got a governor town do that for three or four sessions maybe and then you get into the point where the world council the, the lord's alliance says hey we've got a big problem and we need you we need your help we thought about this long and hard but we need your help specifically you are the guys who can do with this and that's when you start getting into the masters of the world the next tier the 17 to 20th level the big stuff um so this is in, in the book characters have super heroic super heroic that's a word super heroic super heroic capabilities um and their deeds and adventures are the stuff of legend ordinary people can hardly dream of such heights of power or such terrible changes adventures in these levels have far-reaching consequences possibly determining the fate of millions in the material plane and even places beyond this is when you know a god arises and they've got to go and fight a god or or you know another plane attacks or, or something like that this is there's a long explanation for this tier of play Reaching this point doesn't necessarily dictate the end of the campaign. These powerful characters might be called on and to undertake grand adventures on the cosmic side of things. So this is when something so big threatens everywhere and they get pulled in. I mean, we know this stuff. This is fighting Tiamat. This is destroying Halaster Black Cloak. This is the fight with Vecna in critical role. This is the stuff that only they can do um, in those adventures. and. I don't know. I don't really want to talk about how you pull that off in a story because that's pretty obvious. That's like finding a Tarrasque, you know, that's just typical storytelling. But how do you use that in your sense in your homebrew campaign? Well, first of all, um, you'll need some really nice dice to roll up some some stats and things for monsters and stuff. So and some sidekicks. Uh, the best place to get those is the dice dungeon. And actually, I recently got. Uh, oh, I can't reach it from where I'm sat, but I recently got uh, one of the bags of fate. If you haven't checked these out, they are really, really cool. I'm so, I'm so hyped by these things. They're these cool um, silver bags. You buy them for, I believe it's fifteen pounds, with ten percent off if you use the code We Speak Common on checkout. And inside is a set of metal dice. This is the cheapest way to get yourself a premium set of metal dice. Uh, and it's from the Dice Dungeon. Use the link below. You don't know which set you're going to get. It's a bag of fates. Yeah, it's random. Now, you could get one of the amazing sets that are already listed on the store, like I did. I got the really beautiful bronze, clean bronze looking set of metal dice. Really nice, hefty metal math rocks. Or you could get a unique set that isn't able to be purchased in any other way other than via the Bag of Fates like Phoebe did. She got this really cool blue and gold scaled set. It looks like blue dragon scaled skin with gold accents. They're really nice. Um, go and have a look. Bag of Fates, £15. Cheapest way to get some real nice D&D dice. And if, like me, you get to the point where you, you sit and you think, oh, I've got so many dice. Like, I have so many sets now. Um, not just of Dice Dungeon, but like of just 
standard dice that you you know when i first started i bought a set of like 15 sets of dice just to make sure i had loads of d d10s and d6s and things because i'm a dm you know if you've got so many dice and you think oh when you see a nice set, like I did with the plain shard set, and you go, wow, these are beautiful, I need them, that's fine. But if you're thinking, I haven't had dice in a while, but I don't know what set to buy because, like, I've got so many. Like, I don't want to buy one that's similar or I don't want to buy one that's too different. I'm not sure what to get. Grab a bag of Fates and leave it up to Fate. Go and have a look. Link in the description below. 10% off with code WeSpeak common uh, and of course if you are running your homebrew campaign and you are running uh with within the tiers of play and you're thinking about the different levels use creative writing to make things stand out when when the characters get their manner you want it to be described in a way that really sits with them forever so head over to describe dscryb.com and hit their location section and scroll through their descriptions written by professional creative writers so that you don't have to you know polite your thesaurus and find really good words that's the worst thing i hate doing that i really hate looking through thesauruses and dictionaries uh, if you want to go and have a look there's loads of scenes that you can get for free and if not uh, their extensive collection of over 1500 scenes is available with a monthly subscription there's different tiers uh, you can get 10 percent off with the code common at checkout and that gives you access to everything and gives you 10 percent off each month that you pay not just you know, the first time you pay. And of course, it supports the show, which is always great. Um, the other way you can support the show is through Patreon. Again, links in the description for that. So, okay, let's talk about how you really use these in a mechanical way then. So, um, like I say, I don't think the first two tiers, uh, specifically the first tier, the le ones to four, Yeah, I don't think we need to talk about that. Everyone knows what levels one to four is like. Five to ten... Um, I think my advice would be bring factions in, bring groups in in full fledge if you haven't already. If you've had them in a little bit, then fine. If you've really not started using them, ramp it up. Bring them in, do some quest lines specifically for the factions that the characters really enjoy. Let them gain renown over those levels to the point where by level 10, they hold a rank. At the end of Waterdeep, I had uh, one character who was Master of Operations in the Centaurum. I had one who had killed the Xanatha with his with help of his friends and taken over his position and changed the Xanatha guild into the locksmiths. I had the apprentice to the Blackstaff. Uh, who else? Uh, oh, we had a um, member of the Church of Lathander who was very quickly growing in the ranks and becoming um, uh, well-known and was about to be, uh, when, they, when they do more, because we will go back to these characters, uh, will be sent off on quests for the church. Um, and for for churches, just as a side note, I would allow clerics to become, and, and paladins, to be honest, to, to their, their apex to be like saints is kind of the way you could get to at the top of that chain. So you start setting that kind of stuff up. Start doing that. Get to the point where they can earn titles, which gives them benefits. Now, you can look at things like the group patron rules in Tasha's to look at the kind of benefits that can be given. You can use boons, such as in the Dungeon Master's Guide, um, that give the characters things that they can do that others can't. So, you know, maybe a character in uh, a religious order gains a boon that they can cast uh, um, a really powerful version of the heal spell once a day. 
and it's like a gift from the god or a gift from the church. Maybe uh, someone who works for a group like the Zentarum or the Xanathar's Guild, they get the ability to hire for free, you know, four people, a squad of people who can come and help them on any adventure. Uh, and they can just they can just click their fingers and those people will come and help. Maybe they can have access to that organization's um i was going to say treasure but it's not treasure uh their their hoard so they can they can go and borrow magic or powerful magic items from that organization you know if you're if you're the black staff's apprentice well why have you not got staff of power sure you've you've earned it here you go i mean that might unbalance things for you but things like that think about that stuff play help the black staff's apprentice could ask for any spell and the black stuff would say yeah okay here you go you can learn this because you are able to cast this now here you go i'll let you learn it for free things like that they have resources now they're not just adventurers they are members of factions and and they are known people the other side if you're not using factions is to have them have renown in general in the world so that when they go to Baldur's gate for the first time the the men on the gate they know who they are and they let them in and when they let when, when they let them in they they tell people in the city so not not before long the characters are then hailed to the uh the, the duke's offices and they are welcomed and they are given lunch and they are spoken to and treated with respect if they're good people if they're bad people then maybe they're told to piss off and don't come to <laughs> don't come to our town we don't want you here um so start doing that make sure that the world has reactions to them once they've done that big thing that gets them to Masters of the Realm um, uh, stage, then start giving them tangible things. Start giving them a place to live. This can be tricky. I've had adventurers where they don't move around. Uh, uh, and I've had ones where they do. And the ones where they don't, then great. They have a place. They, they love it. They work on it. They improve it. They stay there all the time. Adventurers who travel the realm it becomes difficult because they they there's a disconnect from that place so i think at this point you you have to give that kind of change in pacing you say okay you've just done a big thing you now get a break here you go stay here for four or five sessions and then we'll get back into the adventuring give them that change of pace to make them realize that what they've done wasn't just an adventure to them it might have been they might have been like oh this is easy we're gonna go kill the demi lich yeah but to the world this was heroic feats of justice for them this was changing the outcome of of the common people's lives so let them have a place to rest let them receive gifts and and payment from the lords and the people who the nobles who care and are thankful and let them receive death threats from the villain if they're still alive you know if they've if they've tried to if they've thwarted uh the cult of orcus maybe orcus himself sends a, a, a mental message and threatens them from uh, from the abyss or, or whatever you know start doing that stuff make them realize that they aren't just adventurers now they have done something so grand that people love and revere and hate them now and that's when you can bring in people asking them to train them you don't have to 
they don't have to say yes. They don't have to train the apprentice wizard. They don't have to take on the squire or the druid or the ranger or whatever. But if they do, then great. Psychic rules. There's loads of third-party companion rules online. Uh, or even just a stat block. Just give them the apprentice wizard stat block and say, this is your apprentice. He follows you now. You play this character too. Uh, or you play it as the DM. You run it for them if that's overwhelming for your players, if they're new players. Uh, and you can boost those. You can buff those. You can make them stronger. The apprentice wizard might one day become a mage. He might then become an evoker. Who might then become a lich who the characters then have to fight and kill because they've taken the wrong path and the teaching wizard wasn't very good at teaching. Oh my God, that would be awesome. Stuff like that. Maybe um, the squire starts as a, a thug or, or a knight or something and then they become uh, over a couple of levels you then change the stat block to uh what would be the next one up um it's hard to think of one without looking through the book another fighting's kind of sub a subclass then they become a champion eventually right and then once they become a champion you then edit the stat block to give them some kind of paladin like features like smiting and stuff and you have a session where the the squire makes his oath in front of the paladin character and at that point you've then got another paladin and, and they can either leave and come back every now and then or they can stay with the group and the party grows and gets stronger but what if the paladin uh, the paladin squire who is now a paladin themselves breaks their oath and becomes an oath breaker paladin like what kind of relationship does that bring up between the characters? So that could be really cool. So if you're running them as DMs, you can do that kind of stuff. If the players are running them, you um, you can either give them full control and say this is your character as well now, or you can say here's the stat block, here's the here's the character sheet as it were for the sidekick. You run them mechanically, but I will run them as an NPC emotionally and roleplay wise because it can be a bit awkward as a character if you stand there and talk to yourself for a bit. Um, with the with the locations, I would give them regional effects, give them things like lair actions that they can use if they are within their realm. If they are in their manor, then give them lair actions that they can do on their turns on initiative count 20, like the creatures can. That could be quite cool. Uh, give them the option. Say, okay, it's initiative count 20. Do you want to use one of your lair actions in your manor to activate the... Uh, the traps and you know all these blades stuck on the walls whatever they decide you know let the players have freedom to customize their locations as much as they want there might be a, a lair action where the wizard in his tower presses a sigil on the wall and um a wall of force comes up around his treasure hoard or, or, or wherever where his spellbook is stuff like that talk about it this is a game of talking talk about what that would be um that's that's how I would handle that, and I think um, threaten that place, and have them have to defend it, have them have to improve it and fix upon it and love it and enjoy it, and have people come. If you build it, they will come, as they say. Um, and then once you've done a few sessions of that, and you get into the the final tier of play and the masters of the realm, where um, you know there's a big threat, I would. Maybe potentially if you've got a, a bunch of sidekicks, have the adventurers decide to send them off somewhere. If the quest is to stop an ancient... Okay, let's use Vecner as an example because it's so stereotypical and easy to do. Let's say Vecner's rising, you know, okay, we need to stop him, but 
he's he needs he's doing two things he's doing one thing over in the west and one thing over in the east and the thing over in the east is really really bad and it's killing people everywhere every day uh, okay we as the adventurers are going to go there but we need someone to go to the east and deal with that problem too because that's going to help us weaken him and fight him whatever it is i don't know maybe he's got like some sort of maybe that's where his phylactery is if he's a lich at this point so they send their sidekicks off to the east and then you play that out for a couple of sessions and then you play out the big fight at the other end with the adventurers for a few sessions because one affects the other if the sidekicks all die i mean it's going to be sad it's going to be tragic and it's going to be heart-wrenching but they fail and the uh, the actual adventurers don't know that when you swap over but the characters do and they know that their job's going to be harder whereas if they they succeed the then they swap over the adventurers they then know their job's gonna be easier and they're feeling good and they're like yeah we can do this the players are and the characters you know that gives more fun to role playing i think dramatic irony is what you call it in literature and, and tv and stuff that's what that is it's not meta it's dramatic irony because they know their job's gonna be easier or harder but they have to role play not knowing that and you as the dm can have that deus mach in a bit where the the sidekicks come in at the last minute and help with the fight at the end and everyone's running two stat blocks for a big level 20 fight how cool would that be so start using utilizing the fact that there's these big threats to build up in that third tier and then put it to good use i feel like i've rambled a bit and it's not been very clear but i, I hope you can kind of see and imagine in your mind what i'm trying to put across and i think the takeaway is that that third tier of play that 11 to 15 16 11 to 16 masters of the realm i think that's the key part that you really need to to start using more and you really could start we all could even me i'm starting to think now going through descent as a character i'm starting to think about what my player would do my character would do not my player sorry what my character would do com compared to what i would do as a player because as a player i'm like oh yeah i want him to go on another adventure but i'm like no hang on he's been in hell he's coming back to Baldur's gate he's now a duke He's he's not been running his organization. He's been having someone else do it for him. So he needs to show his face. So for a few months, he's going to do that stuff. So I'm saying to James, look, if I survive, let's have a session where we sit down and we talk about what he does rather than playing it out. Let's talk about what happens rather than play what happens, because I want to he's going to do this stuff for a few months. And what does that look like? And when we've had that discussion, we can get to the point at the end of the month where we're like, OK, he's decided to send three groups of his factions off to these locations to grow their uh, renown there. He's done this, this and this as a duke, which means the city reacts to him this, this and this way. Um, and, and James can say, and the, these are the plot hooks that you've been hearing about during your dukely meetings and things. Which ones do you want to go investigate? And so... That gives my character a much more real, invested, and uh, rooted kind of relationship to the world that he's in. And I think that we can do that. I think everyone can do that in all of their games. When you get to that, that high level, that 11th level, start to implement that stuff. If you've got traveling adventurers, then... Um, make sure that they are walking into new places or going back to places that been they've been to before and they're being recognized and they're being met met with a suitable reaction whether good or bad you know make sure they are feeling like they are in that tier of play and there is always a way to have someone approach a character and say please can i join you can you teach me and see what they do but the groundwork building up to that 
happens in the 1 to 10 range. Having the players do things and interact with people and start making a name for themselves. And that's that's a bit on both sides. That's a bit from the DM setting up and using, you know, important NPCs and having the players on their side, it's them actually interacting and talking to them. And then once you've got into that third tier, it's then on you as the DM to take everything they've done and take those consequences you've thought about and put them into action and set up their connection to the world and then once you get into tier four that's when you use all of that setup and you pay it off so if they've got apprentices use them if they've got a homestead use it if they've traveled around the world and they've met all of the different members of the lord's alliance bring the lord alliance together and tell them that there's a big mission they've got to go on and those interwoven threads those connections those npcs whether they're important people in the game from level one all the way up to now or whether they're new apprentices that have joined and now they're going to go off on their first quest alone that stuff making sure you pay it off and that the apprentice just doesn't go away and gets forgotten about and comes back later and tells you how the quest went and is a changed person that stuff is the stuff that will make the players' characters memorable forever. I am never going to forget my Hexblade Paladin who travelled to hell and diplomatically became a duke while also putting his patron and demigod in power of Avernus. I'm never going to forget that adventure, and I cannot wait to see what the reaction to him returning to Baldur's Gate will be because he's not just an adventurer now. His work has paid off. He's a duke. He's in charge of the city with others. So what does that look like? What does that mean? And I'm excited for that as much as I would be excited for him to return and be like, okay, I'm going to go fight a dragon now because that's cool too. Ultimately, it comes down to talking to your players. But hey, I hope that's given you some ideas and I hope that's made you think about the tears of play more. I think. My goal for this episode wasn't to say, hey, <laughs> here's how you do it. It's, hey, here's how you can do it and think about it more. Because I've got to admit, even I wasn't thinking about it until recently. And it's all because Sam asked me to run him a one-on-one campaign. And um, he's level three at the moment and he's a druid. And I was like, okay, I want to utilize druid groves. And I want to utilize the druidic order. So I fleshed all that out and I realized, hey, this fits the tiers of play stuff and sam realized it and said this is really cool i started thinking about it can we talk about it and so here i am talking about it to you um think about it more in your prep i think is my advice uh especially if you're running sandbox because it will definitely help there okay i'm gonna go and have some lunch because i'm very very hungry i hope you're having a great day and um head over to the we speak common patreon to check out the extended poisoned condition it is available there to anyone supporting and i just want to add as well um the reason i put stuff on patreon uh, is because i want to give something and give like a a little reward bonus to those who do support the podcast but also because a lot of the stuff that i work on and a lot of the stuff that i create isn't setting specific it can be used anywhere and that doesn't fit the dm guild model so um i can't put it on there But if you go to my Patreon and you think, oh, there's some really cool stuff on here, but I don't want to support the show. It's fine. Not everybody wants to. I totally get it. I don't always want to support shows that I listen to financially. I want to support them in different ways. Um, Then you can use the Patreon as a way to get those books and then like not support the show. Um, 
you actually do get better value for your money if you do it that way. Not that I said that. I didn't say that. I shouldn't encourage you to do that. But if you pay for a month, you get access to everything immediately and then you can just stop paying. So if you did ever want anything like that, um, you don't don't feel like you have to support the show for a long time. Although it would mean a lot to me if you did. Because um, you get access to the server too, which is a really cool place to hang out. So if you want to check that stuff out, there's a patron in the link below. As ever, if you go to wespeakcommon.com, it will bounce you to a... Uh, a link tree page that has all of our links on including those 10% offs for the partners uh, and if it says that it's not safe just click advanced and then click proceed because um, having a uh, security certificate costs a lot of money <laughs> so <laughs> link tree doesn't do that for you and neither does GoDaddy for domains so just head to wespeakcommon.com for the link tree or just click on uh, our Twitter at wespeakcommon on Instagram too as Twitter and wespeakcommon at hotmail.com to email us as ever that was convoluted and jumbled about but hey that's dnd uh, and my brain so i hope it all works as ever links in the description below i've said it about five times have a great day uh, enjoy dnd give your players an apprentice love you lots see you later thanks for listening today if you like the show do us a favor leave us a like and review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. Send us to your fellow DMs and players so that we can build our community even more. It really helps to get us out in front of more eyes. If you want to support the show, you can by joining our Patreon. Links can be found in the show description and the episode descriptions on all platforms. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82. It's licensed under a Creative Commons license by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.